On this episode of Resi Week, a guide to RMS, hacking your TV, and NAD's new streamer. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 201, The Golden Chalice. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Middle Atlantic. What great systems are built on. Welcome to Resi Week. This is your weekly wrap-up of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott, for avnation.tv. And this week, we are pleased to be joined by my good friend, Heather Sidorowicz. She is the president of Southtown Audio Video. How are you, ma'am? I am doing well. We're days away from Christmas and uh, still afloat. So life is good. Fantastic. This is kind of like one of the family shows because you and I go way, way back. We do. We have a friendly-ish brother-sister relationship, if I can be so bold. I think that that's a really good way to put it. Like that kind of that love-hate relationship. Yeah. 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 We get along, but we also like to like just tease each other a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, just a little bit. Not not crazy, just just enough. Right. And then I, to, no one else is allowed to pick on the other one. No. Oh God, right. no. No, that's yeah. that's asking for just only that. us. We're allowed to do it. Right. Yeah, yeah. You pick on her. I'm coming for you. <laughs> Speaking of rounding out the family, we have the Ooh, how do I do this one? The brother from wow. another I don't know. The brother from another mother or the weird uncle. I'll take the weird uncle for five hours. Really? Wow. I'd be honored to have Tim as my weird uncle. Weird uncle? Yeah. Weird uncle Tim. Hey, Tim. It's Tim Albright. He's the founder of AV Nation. How are you, sir? I am doing well, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Congratulations on your bears uh, beating my team that didn't uh, board the plane. So that that was great for you. Uh, Not so good for me, but you know, football's like that. It is like that, especially this year. Oh, yeah. You know, they just called the Buffalo Bills America's spirit team, so... Wow. I'm not Just sure how to hold on to that one. I debated coming up for that game this week. I, I thought about it and then I didn't, but I thought about it for a minute. It 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 looked great. All right, let's let's kick into some AV stuff because that's probably why you're here, not to talk about our weird family dynamics. Coming to us from Residential Systems, an integration guide to remote management services. This is from Karen Mitchell. <clears throat> if you know anything about this industry the last three or four years, RMR, RMS, however you want to phrase it, uh, recurring monthly revenue, remote management services, which again is just another AV spin on RMR, is really what everyone is continually talking about and very few people seem to be doing effectively. But in this article from Karen, she interviews uh, three integrators who seem to have this locked up Heather, I want to start with you on this one being the the other integrator. We continually hear, and, and this article uh, really continues that narrative, that RMR, RMS in this case, is you know that holy grail of making your client's life better, causing you less headaches, bringing you more money. But no one's really seemed to, in my opinion, has really seemed to create a blueprint for how to make this happen, how to sell this easily to clients. Based on uh, this article and and a lot of the others recently, it leads me to believe that the best way to sell RMS or RMR is to kind of force feed it down your client's throats and just say, hey, if you buy from us, you're buying one of these service plans and 
I don't know, ADT seems to have failed miserably doing that type of thing. Why is that the approach that we continually seem to take in this, this industry? I think that there's uh, perspective versus reality. So I think we know as integrators that this is a golden, golden chalice that we all want. Um, we've seen alarm companies who have you know, boats on the water that were probably bought through their recurring revenue. Um, so we want that too. And my belief is also that it, it, it gets a lot of clicks. So um, our magazine companies, um, they're gonna, they're going to promote these articles. I'm going to see it all the time and they're going to say how it's a great thing, but to make it in actuality is much more difficult, right? So perspective, yes, great, wonderful reality, not so easy um, to come into play because you can get into a lot of trouble that way too, right? If I tell my customers it's a certain price, but now I'm spending more, you know, that could put me asunder. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we currently don't have that plan. I, you know, there's certainly a part of me that wishes we did. I wish, we, you know, of course, who wouldn't want more money for less potential work. Um, it, but I, I do agree that there are some that have done very well with it. Um, I think it depends on, you have to be very number driven to be able to make that a success. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that it's more, I think that it's talked about more than it's actually done out there in the big world. Very good. Tim, you're, you're nodding your head along with that line. You and I have gone down this conversation many, many times from both the residential to the, the, the light commercial to the commercial. Again, just as Heather said, this is something that's talked about all the time and it's, it's framed really well, but it never seems to work. Is it the same in the, the light commercial? Is that an easier avenue to kind of kick that off if you're an integrator to say, Hey, we're going to go after this from our, from our like commercial or commercial clients, or is it just a lose-lose? It's not a lose-lose. It's, it, it's a process though. Um, I, I think I've heard it, the best way I've heard it put is you have to retrain your entire organization to go down this road. Yeah. You're still selling boxes and yes, you're, you're still selling services, but you have this entire other organization of, of managed service. Uh, and that's kind of what you, you end up being as an, as an MSP. Uh, and you do it for two different reasons. Heather mentioned one of them. You have recurring revenue. This is a revenue stream that you're going to have every single way, uh, every single year. Uh, the other part, the reason that you do it is for the profitability and for the eventual, you know, uh, selling or, or um, um, uh, getting, you know, you, you retiring. Um, and, and one of the, rev uh, one of the metrics I was told uh, from a different organization, MSP, these folks did VoIPs. They do, uh, you know, uh, phone systems. If you have recurring revenue, that can be valued between five and six times your annual revenue. Now, if you are somebody who is is considering um, a plan of, of retiring or, or moving on, and you start going down this road, and you start you start looking into it. Some folks will give you two to three times revenue. Some folks will give you maybe up to up to three and a half. I've never seen it as high as five and six. And when it comes to MSPs and recurring revenue, that's what these folks are, are talking about is when you go to, to sell your business, you can realize up to five or six times revenue. That's a huge thing, especially in the AV industry. So there's two reasons to do it. One is, is to kind of shore up and, and give your, yourself a good foundation annually. Uh, the other reason is, is when you look into um, you know, selling and, and moving on from, you know, from that business. 
No. Right. We shouldn't be looking at it though for like what's the best for our clients. And is it the best? And, and maybe it is, right? The ability to fix those things. But I, I guess I look at it things maybe from more of an organic standpoint that is it best for our clients or is it best because eventually I want to get out? Well, and, and to counter that point, I understand completely what you're saying, Tim, but let, let's be really blunt about the residential side of the industry. Almost no one can sell their company. Like it, it almost never happens in this, this side of the industry where you run a successful company and you sell it to somebody else. Okay. Heather, you're honestly one of the outliers that I know of who was able to, to obviously, you know, you kind of grew up in this, you worked in this, and then you purchased the company. That's really rare. Yeah. And it, I think it did because it, I knew its value because I was part of it. Right. So it was, it was, I, yeah, I, I think I'm a unique case that way to buy it and bought it for a lot of it was inventory that we had. So we, it, it gave a much better value. Mm -hmm. But is it, and let me ask this because I, I, you know, you and I haven't really talked about this in depth, Heather, is it also because it was, it was a family business, right? You, you know, you, you guys, absolutely, yeah, yeah. ultimate succession plan here, right? Where yeah, and it wasn't a long-term plan. It was a, it was, I have been at the company at that point. Um, so I bought it in 2014. So 13 years at the when I bought it. Um, and it was really because I was doing so much of it anyway. And it was, a, it, it was, a, a, my father didn't have a plan. He didn't have a, a way out. And so for him, for, it was, a, it was a, it was a line in the sand is what it was. Yeah. So by making that, he could feel that he didn't need to be so involved anymore. And then I could really, since I was doing all these different pieces anyway, I could then finally truly take the reins and move forward into well, the sunset. The, the stat I love about this, and then we'll, we'll, we'll change topics for a minute, is we, we, have a, we have a lot of clients that are in the medical industry on our, on our commercial side. And when they buy a quote unquote book of business, so if they go and buy another partner's uh, dental practice or, or a chiropractor practice or a, uh, you know, any other practice, they go in and they purchase it, their attrition rate upon purchase is 50 to 65%. Oh, wow. Will leave. So you go out and you pay X number of dollars for that dental practice and you're bringing it into your fold they're expecting at least 50% of those patients to leave. That's crazy. And that has to factor, it may not be that high in, in, in our industry, but that's one of those things that I always come back to with these kind of stories about, ooh, let's get into RMR because it's going to you know, give us a ton of value. If you take that and then multiply it by 2%, as you were saying, Tim, but then recognize that maybe you're going you're gonna to lose 25% of that revenue in that first year, that's a... a it's not something that I would base my business on, which makes me go back to Heather's point of you got to do what's best for your clients. Speaking and that's, I, I truly believe that that's where reoccurring revenue comes from. And I have this conversation all the time on the commercial side of the business that, you know, it, if we're doing the right thing and we're taking care of our client, our reoccurring revenue is that they come back again and again and they grow. Yeah. And then they ask us questions that they didn't think that we did, or they ask us to go down a path that's not maybe in the center of our wheelhouse, but they really appreciate that relationship so that they want to do that project with us. That's where the recurring revenue comes from. In, in, again, but I think I look at it from a different perspective, organic growth um, and organic revenue. 
I like that growth though. I like that side. Speaking of doing what's best for your clients, uh, this is, I, I'm, I'm laughing a little bit because this is one of those articles that I love to see and scares me to death all at the same time. Uh, this comes to us from CE Pro. The FBI has issued warnings on smart TV hacks. They have determined that a certain uh, number of smart TVs with built-in microphones and cameras uh, read between the lines of that pretty much every TV sold in Best Buy, Costco, or by us today uh, has a, a microphone in it or a, a webcam or something in it. Uh, so the FBI is warning that you need to be at uh, paying attention to this because not only may the TV manufacturer and some of those app developers be listening and watching uh, not only what you're watching, but potentially you in the room, uh, you're also making it fairly easy for hackers to come in and potentially do this. Now, I don't want to go down the, oh my God, the hackers are coming for us, as much as I believe that to be very true. I, I, I want to kind of take this in a bit of a cybersecurity best practice direction. So Tim, I, I'm going to come back to you on this one to uh, to kind of kick it off. Obviously, <clears throat> you can't take advantage of the majority of these smart TV functions if you don't enable access to all of these things. Yep. You also, as much as in their, their couple points of what to do, there's no passwords to change on a, on a, on a Samsung TV. There's no, there may be on a, on a Sony, I, I don't know off the top of my head, but off the majority of the TVs that I know that my company sells internally, there's no passwords to change. There's no, there, there's nothing in those TVs that can be significantly adjusted to, to complicate somebody coming in. You're, you're very limited in what connections you have there. Hmm. So obviously in a, in a perfect world, you, you put these on a VLAN, you do a bunch of uh, really sophisticated stuff, but when the device doesn't let you do it, how much of this, type of article is a bit of a fear monger. It, it's a little bit and it's, it's, let's be honest, it, it is the holiday season and there are going to be uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of these sold uh, and, and Samsung and Sony uh, and all of them want, you know, millions of these to be sold. Um, so it's a little bit of a, of a clickbait in, in fear mongering in the season where we're all buying them and, and having them put in or buying them from you guys and having them put in. Um, but th it, there are, they, they are vulnerable, right? Especially if it's a, if it's a DIY scenario. Um, that's why there are professionals like you and Heather and your, your companies because you guys will do certain things. If it was just my dad, and I pick on my dad a lot, you know, he's, he's, he's in his 70s, well, he'll be in his 70s soon. He'll go out and buy a TV and type in the, the login and password for the wireless uh, and and suddenly he has a smart TV and he's doing his his, his Netflix thing, right? Um, he won't think twice about you know oh there's a new app I'm going to click on that or somebody sends me something. Uh, let's just say that there's been more than one time where he's had to have his computers restored, um, and he has you know clicked on things that he shouldn't have, and suddenly one of his bank accounts was was compromised. So that's what, who this article is for. Uh, it, it is not for, for you folks. Um, if you are doing it yourself though, there are certain things you can do. You can put it behind a firewall. You can, you can make sure that's on the only ports that are, that are needed for your, your TV are open, right? Those are things you can do if you do need, feel the need to put it up yourself. though. 
Heather, as I kind of mentioned in that, that question to Tim, obviously we know the best practices of <coughs> placing this behind a specific firewall, putting all those IOT devices on a separate VLAN, getting them off the same, you know, network that your, the computer that you do banking and everything else on is, is on. And obviously you can do really basic things like turn off the microphone and, and cover, you know, the, the camera with tape and all, all those really easy things. But a lot of times, especially from the network side, if you're dealing with a, a large project, sure, you can spend the time and the money to set that up properly. But what happens when you're doing a basic, you know, one-off, a, a, a Sonos play bar or a beam and a TV on the wall for a client. And it's, it's one of those quick in and out jobs that you're doing to fill time before Christmas. How do you properly protect that client? Well, I think properly, it, well, first of all, let's, let's go all the way back here. FBI issues warning on, uh, warning on, on smart TV hacks. Like, so no one's actually done it. There's no examples, right? It's not like the, here's 700 people that this happened to. It's, it could happen, right? And you know what? If I leave my door unlocked, someone could come in my house. And even if I lock my door, someone could break my window. Like, I feel like all these things, it's, it's you know, how many people, how many that someone goes out to their car and ransacks your car or steals the change out of your car when it was in your driveway. That's really what I equate this stuff to. And also, I'll point out that I think that most people, if they're that intelligent to be able to hack in, they probably should go get a real job because they could get paid a lot more money than working so hard to hack my TV so that they could hear the few words that we say in the room that the TV's in. So I, I, I think this is a lot of a fear tactic. So this isn't something that I would even bring up to my customers and I would kind of blow off if they brought it up to me. I actually had a friend text me this article, um, someone not in the industry. And, you know, I kind of said the same thing to him. Um, so I, yeah, in, in, an, in an average house, if the client's not concerned or working in some high profile job that they are, are overly concerned, we are not concerned either. Um, most, you know, most people are going to get all upset about that someone's going to hack their smart TV. Meanwhile, Netflix knows exactly what you watch. Google's reading all your emails anyway. And you probably have Alexa in there who you speak to and ask her all these questions anyway. Right? Like, what, what's, the, what's the fear? Right? We're giving so much of it away anyway. And then we're going to freak out about these other parts that we didn't, we don't think that we said okay to. Very good. Off my soapbox. Off your soapbox. I love it. Uh, and, and for that fact, I did get asked that uh, last week when we put in a brand new 75-inch Samsung that had the voice remote. Was, mm. Who's listening to this? Everyone. Literally everyone. Then I laughed. He laughed. No, Alexa don't, laughed. Don't. No, don't do that one. Oh, come on. She just she said laughed. she can laugh. All right. Let's uh, kick off our last story. The day this comes to us from a residential tech today and our good friend, Henry Clifford. Uh, Henry, thanks for writing such a fun article. <laughs> Henry had a chance to review the new NAD M10 Blue OS streaming amplifier, which he uh, is asking if it's a keeper or too good to be true. If you don't know NAD, uh, first of all, check them out. They make some really, really cool, uh, very nice high-end products. This is their new sleek and sexy 100-watt uh, amplifier that is coupled with MQA, which is Master Quality Authenticated Audio Support. It also includes uh, direct live room correction 
and seems to do a, a lot of really fun things very, very easily. So read through this review. Uh, Henry goes through a bunch of the you know, basics, the things that we in the industry find sexy, as well as really the fact that this for him seems to be checking a, a ton of the boxes for a way in which he can set up his nice little two-channel uh, audio addiction. So Heather, I'm going to come back to you and, and kind of start with this this question of, it's a nice device. I, I love the 100 watts per channel. I love the fact it has Dirac in it. <laughs> If you don't know Dirac, check it out. It is fantastic room correction software. It also has a price tag of just under $2,800 for a two-channel amplifier. Now, I'll preface that statement with the fact that uh, you and I both know very well that there are a lot of people in the two-channel world who will find that to be a drop in the bucket. But as kind of the entry, you know, hey, let's get into two-channel, is this something that one you find uh, attractive, not just from a price point, but from, from the offerings. But how do you stack something like this up against something like a Rialto or even a Sonos amp? Where, where do you hit that price point of quality over substance, over accessibility? Over ease, over an app that works all the time over I can get in and out and I don't have to learn anything new. Oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, so I, I agree with what Henry said in this article that if you have a single room and a nice set of speakers, so if you're driving a 5,000 pair of speak, $5,000 pair of speaker or more, um, or, you know, 10,000 or something crazy, then, then yes, this could be your entry level into putting that together. Um, if your client's going to continue to add on and they're not going to have all these, I think it's a, it's a, it's a niche item. Um, and it, it, they, I'm sure they started with, Hey, Sonos is doing well and let's do this. But I feel it was a little bit late. This had come out two years ago or three years ago. I feel that there was a really big hole between when Sonos started to gain popularity and when everybody else finally came out with products to compete against them. Um, I, they were smart in the way that they put this together, that they did make it more of a niche item so that it's, it's fancier and better and has all sorts of bells and whistles and more acronyms because we love acronyms. Just put four letters or three letters together in our industry and it means something. Um, I don't think that it's going to be a mass market. I don't think it's going to hurt any of the other players either. Very good. Tim, when I saw this, I, I kind of went down Heather's first uh you know, comments there for, for a moment. And the more I thought about it, the more, to be honest, I was confused. I've dealt with a ton of, you know, audiophile quote unquote people, and they don't want an all in one box. They want to be able to walk you over to their fancy shelf and go, Ooh, so this is my preamp and this is my amp and this is my DAC and this is my direct you know, room correction device, and this does this, and this does this, and oh my gosh, I use these cables, and it's this hour-long debate over, hey, can we listen to John, some, some John Mayer? And I see this, and I see the touchscreen display in the front, and I, I, I love the back end of it. it. It looks great. I love what Henry loves about this. But at $2,800, to me, it seems way too expensive 
for that kind of entry level, dare I say, millennial type client who's going to want that all in one. Am I missing the bar here or are they missing the bar? I, I don't think, I don't think either of you missing the bar. I think that you're just not making the connection because you just said it. It's, it's the millennial um, and, and the Gen Z behind them. Um, our, our good friend, George Tucker years ago in one, one of our AV weeks um, talked about his love of weighted knobs, right? Uh, that's the person you're talking about, Matt, is the person who will walk you to their rack and they'll show you their, their, their record player. That's, you know, $5,000 and it has it's counterweighted and all this jazz the, the knobs on the Macintosh amplifier that you know are heavier than you know a, a, a you know a drive shaft or whatever you know that's that person and and those of of of, of that ilk they're gonna do that I don't know that the millennials have expressed themselves in that way simply because you look at the, the market share um, and you look at what's the mass market purchasing. They like Sonos, right? And there's a reason Sonos came out with an amplifier because they did the market research and said, oh, you know, let's start doing this and let's start, you know, you go, this product here feeds into the all-in-ones, feeds into the convenience, feeds into, you know, Heather mentioned the, the, the consistent app. That generation and that consumer who, yeah, there might be a very, very small portion of them you know, who, who likes to have the different components in the, in the rack full of, of, of gear. But the vast majority of us don't, um, not only in, in our homes, but also in our offices. And that's a whole other conversation about hiding gear and hiding tech and hiding AV and, and that becoming a, a design um, uh, push right now in, in both architecture, but also in, in um, interior design where they don't want to see the tech. This kind of fits that niche as well, where, you know, minimalist, uh, AV, I guess, is the best way to put it. I, I must say, I was reading a Motor Trend last night at, at my dad's house, and they're reviewing a bunch of cars. And one of them stated that it had weighted knobs, like that Marantz receiver from the 70s. And I'm like, oh, I'm buying this car. I don't even know what it was. I don't remember. But I would buy it for weighted knobs, just, just yeah. so we're clear. Because sure. I'm an old man at heart. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. Let's leave it there. <laughs> Heather, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Southtown AV, uh, as well as follow you on all the social medias, where can they do that? Mm, uh, Southtownav.com would be um, where you might find me to be serious. If we want to uh, chitter chat and have a little bit of fun, then uh, on Twitter at tech, T-E-C-H underscore chi, as in the ultimate zen, C-H-I. And Tim of course. Thank you so much, my friend. Uh, Tim, if people want to connect with you, <laughs> learn more about AV Nation and the Blues or the Bears, where can they do that? They can do it on the Twitters where last Thursday I was trolling Matt Scott. Um, yep. At TD Albright. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Matt e. Scott and pretty much every other social platform. <laughs> but more importantly, please visit avnation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of our other shows with all the verticals that we cover when you visit the website please take a moment to check out our supporters we are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well thanks again for watching that's all the time we have for this episode of resi week happy holidays